Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. It comes as probably no surprise to any of you that my good friend Amy, or you might know her better as anything but basic on Instagram, was obviously going to be on this podcast at some point <laughs> or another. Welcome, Mimi. Hi. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I've honestly been waiting for the invitation, but I didn't <laughs> want to push anything, so I'm so <laughs> glad to finally be here. Oh, I can't wait to chat to you. Although I do have a feeling this podcast is just going to be chaos. This always happens. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like, yes. People keep asking me to do a podcast with Paul and stuff. And I'm like, it would just be, I'll do it eventually, but it will just be absolutely all over the place. So um, we'll right. see what we end up chatting about. This could go completely off course. It absolutely has that potential. Yeah. <laughs> but Mimi, you have such an incredible story and you've done so much in your life being still so young and young and fresh and youthful and amazing. <laughs> Can you tell that I love you? Um, yeah. So let's first of all talk about the fact that you have very recently left SeaWorld. Yes, How are you feeling? Well, I feel very at peace. Um, this, I've, I've kind of been thinking about transitioning out for a couple years, uh, but only seriously thinking about my options for, I'm going to say the last six months. Um, but I'm so fortunate that I've accomplished everything that I've wanted to in my career. I've been at SeaWorld for 10 years. I was at Shamu Stadium for eight and a half of those 10 years. And um, I feel amazing. I mean, when I was applying to other positions and I was writing out my resume, which I realized I hadn't done in a while. Ladies and gentlemen, don't do that. Keep a, Every time that you develop a new skill or accomplish something, write it down. Because I was mm -hmm. having to refer to my old notebooks, my training notebooks and everything. Um, and I really wish that I had kept track of everything. <laughs> Very good advice. Um, <laughs> but actually writing it down and seeing everything really reinforced my decision and made me feel better that I've been able to do so much, yeah. so, so much. Um, and I really feel like for what I wanted my animal training career to be with marine mammals, um, that no stone was left unturned, so. Yeah, and what... Can you hear that? I'm pretty sure Paul has started vacuuming downstairs. Oh. If you guys can oh, hear good. this on the recording, I, I, I literally said to him at four o'clock, please make no noise. Husbands, who would have yeah. them? Well, my husband's at work, but I just have dogs that can't deal with the fact that I am recording right now because <laughs> I, my, my voice is very excited. And if I have an excited voice, obviously that means I'm talking mm. to a dog. Mm -hmm. Like I said, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this podcast yeah. is going to be chaos. Uh, <laughs> but what do you think that little Mimi would think about everything that you've accomplished? Not necessarily you as a child, but you as you were just starting out in the field. Um, I never would have thought I was leaving. Ha! I would be like, I'm going to be 65 and still training 
animals. I mean, that's what um, we all think. I know. I know. And, and uh, I just never thought that I would get to this point, especially by 31. Mm-hmm. I thought that, oh, maybe I'll be in management. Maybe I'll, you know, I, ha- I have no, I had no idea. I had no idea that after 10 years or so that I would be phasing out of the marine mammal field. Um, but I think nothing I feels ex- long enough, does it? Nothing feels long enough. No, 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 no. Um, one moment. I have to take care of this dog. I might just kick them out of the group. Yeah, I think that no matter how many years you spend with the whales or any animal, it will never feel long enough. But, you know, if you can leave being happy in what you achieved, like you still achieved that dream. You're not giving up on it. You know, you lived it. You fulfilled it. Right. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I I just feel, you you know what it was? I, I had always thought that I was going to do a billion internships and I would work at, you know, a couple places for six, eight months at a time. Um, I think little Mimi would definitely be proud that my first animal training job out of school was at SeaWorld. So I got, I got to spend as much time at my dream facility Mm -hmm. um, as I wanted. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. I think, what would you say to, you know, there's so many aspiring trainers that are out there that have so much passion, but, you know, this field really asks, it starts off asking a lot of you, and then it just kind of keeps going, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, oh, it absolutely, it absolutely does, and, um, and it's a, it's a decision, it's a conscious choice, and it didn't affect me until it did. Yeah, and, you know, so much is asked of aspiring trainers, you know, the, the kind of framework or what's told to people about oh, to get that elusive first job, you know, you have to have like two or three big three month internships, you need your scuba qualification, you need a degree, you need this, you need that. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned over the years is that's not entirely true. You know, yes, the framework is kind of there for a reason. If you want to give yourself the best opportunity, yes. But there are mm-hmm. other ways and you were not one of those people that did so many bulk internships tell everyone a little bit about how you got into (laughs) the royal family so I made a decision to go to I could have gone to the University of Miami it was between U Miami and um and University of Massachusetts actually and so I had decided you know I wanted to be closer to my family so it was a little over three hours away um, to be at UMass, but I knew that I needed animal experience. And so UMass had a teaching farm. So, and, and they offered a uh, scuba certification for credit. So I got my degree in animal science. And over the course of my time there, because our classes were at the teaching farm and I picked up additional um, research projects uh, while I was in school, um, I graduated already having four years of animal experience and my scuba certification on top of my degree. So I applied to uh, SeaWorld Education uh, in Orlando. Um, I hated Texas. I had been to Texas before. um, Before anyone comes for her. (laughs) Yes, I had been to Texas. I loved the parks, but I knew 
that the surrounding area was not for me. There was not nearly enough to do. And the nice thing about Orlando being that tourist hub is you already had the parks. There were beaches everywhere. There's there's so much to do in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was initially really appealing to me. And while I was in the education department, I was fortunate enough to um, get an animal ambassador spot uh, within education. So a couple of days a week, I would handle small reptiles and stuff. Um, which really helps also having SeaWorld handling experience while you're applying for those yeah. animal training jobs. Um, and then in the area, I found um, the Central Florida Zoo, which is uh, about 30 miles north um, of Orlando. And uh, I was an animal ambassador there too. So I found those ways to still keep myself current. And, you know, after a year and a half, um, which at the time felt like an eternity to me. Uh, I realized after, you know, just saying a year and a half was a very short period of time for me to then get in uh, to SeaWorld Animal Training. Yeah, absolutely. And where did you start off with your animal training experience at SeaWorld? Uh, I started at Shannon Stadium. Mm -hmm. And I think I love that. And I love hearing that because so many people always ask me like, oh, I want to work with killer whales, but oh yeah, I'll need to start like working with sea lions and then maybe dolphins and then maybe killer whales. And I'm like, guys, you got to stop thinking about it like a ladder. You know, no Mm, one animal is any better than another. You know, you can start with killer whales and you can start with sea lions because they're both very different animals. But you started off on Nightwatch, is that correct? I did start off as Nightwatch. So um, there's, someone there with the animals 24-7. We actually phased out our, our night watch program a couple of years ago, but um, it was a great stepping stone for me. So I was night watch for eight months. And the great thing about night watch is we had two overnights and then we had two early morning shifts. So I was able to get to know the team and also get to know the flow of the day before the first show. Um, so it was a nice little like pseudo internship program and -hmm. then I got hired out of there because I had already known the team so I had a little bit of a leg up there and what did you guys do on night watch did you guys just sit in the chair and watch the animals or did you do no so we made enrichment we uh did food prep because sometimes fish would get there at 4 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. um so you would start food prep um do some area cleaning things like that yeah. So it's a big, big job taking care of killer whales. But you just said something that I really want to touch on about people treating or thinking that killer whales are the goal. And don't get me wrong, I am I love that I had the opportunity to um, work with killer whales for as long as I did. Uh, but the reason I chose to work at SeaWorld was actually not for the killer whales. The reason I chose to work at SeaWorld is because I had the opportunity to work with so many different species. Yeah. SeaWorld has belugas, otters, walruses. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with birds of prey, Mm -hmm. the killer whales, um, sea lions. It's, you know, the the bottlenose dolphins. When I started, there were also false killer whales. Mm -hmm. Um. And you work with pilot whales too. Oh my gosh. And 
Who could forget the pilot whales? <laughs> the kookiest animals I have ever worked with are those shorefin pilot whales. Um, yeah. So, you know, my, my advice to people would be don't – I mean, if you want to work with killer whales, good on you. But there's so much value in every single animal that you're training. And in some ways, you know, there's different – there's different challenges with every every one of those animals, for sure. I 100% agree that every animal you work with teaches you something. And one animal you've worked with, I have never. And I honestly, <laughs> I, I don't think I would ever see myself as a bird trainer. I might be surprised, but what you was it like? You say that. <laughs> you say that. But... What was it like um, working with the birds of prey? The most unbelievable rewarding experience um and it's nothing that I ever like you said it's nothing that I ever thought that I would be doing um I I was pretty positive that I was an exclusive marine mammal trainer (laughs) um which has a very large umbrella of animals uh and so um eagles a great horned owl a crested caracara those those were not on the list Mm-hmm. of things yeah. um but uh unfortunately a few years ago SeaWorld went through a, a pretty massive layoff and um got rid of our animal ambassador team um but we had a collection of birds of prey that were on loan from Audubon and um they were they had a forever home with us so uh we did have we started taking care of them and because of the proximity they're right behind our stadium uh, at SeaWorld Orlando so um Shamu took on that role and the relationship that you gain with those animals there's such relationships with an animals and I had no idea I had no idea um I thought birds of prey only had one uh I didn't think they had that much personality. I thought it was just like, okay, a a bird is a bird is a bird. They're super standoffish. That is what mm-hmm. it is. Um, but birds of prey are really cool animals. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and he said something so true that you truly feel that you are in the presence of royalty when you are sitting and looking at a bird of prey. Wow because they're so proud and they're honestly just such beautiful animals that they it really is incredible being in their presence it's really amazing yeah Uh, was there someone on the team that had experience with birds of prey like who who taught you to work with them yeah so we did have a couple people that had previously been on the animal ambassador team um and our curator at the time or still um, our curator was also the curator over there as well. Um, so we had people on the team who had a good understanding of those animals. And um, one of the first advice that I was given was just go in there and start talking. You don't have to be loud and boisterous, but talk talk to the animals and um, get them used to your voice because birds are farsighted. They're not nearsighted. So they can they can see you close up, but it's a little bit more blurry. So if they know who's coming in, it's going to make them that much more calm. Um, so really I just constantly, 
right? I just constantly started talking to them. When I was cleaning, I was talking to them um, or just talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked out a lot of conflict. I was just going to say, like, sure. when, when you need, like, a minute to yourself, it's like, I'm going to yeah. go clean the birds of prey because yeah. <laughs> I need a rant. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's all about very um, slow movements with them. Uh, I do – I don't love horses. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I applied a lot of what I learned riding horses mm -hmm. to the birds of prey, that very minute – movements and um pressure and things like that mm -hmm. that's all applicable to the birds of prey too it's really so. interesting and i think it's something that this field really teaches you is yeah you can set out with a goal in mind you know for me end goal was always killer rails but you never really know how you're going to get there or what surprises are going to come up along the way you know right you even working in Shamu Stadium, you probably were like, oh, I'm just going to be working with killer whales for right now. Birds of prey come along. And then also pilot whales come along. What was that like? Ah, the pilot whales. Um, they were, what a bunch they were. We had four, yep, four rescued shortfin pilot whales. Um, and the interesting thing about those pilot whales is that they were all youngsters. So, uh, Dolphins and whales live in a matriarchal society. Um, so usually they develop some skills and, and observational learning. Um, but in this case, they were all so young. Um, like I, when, they, when a few of them were rescued, they didn't have teeth. So they were still nursing. Um, mm -hmm. So they have very, very little interaction with older animals. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of troubleshooting. It was a lot of figuring out what works best for them without having um, kind of a distinct leader among the group, which mm -hmm. is very different than interacting with killer whales because the killer whales are constantly, whether or not they're listening to the matriarch is different, mm -hmm. but they're constantly deferring and constantly aware of what the matriarch or the other animals are doing, whereas the oh, pilot yeah. whales were just like four one-off animals. That's really interesting. I remember hearing from a trainer who worked, I think she, did she, I think she worked with them while they were still at Whale and Dolphin or maybe when they were still in the rescue area. Mm -hmm. And I remember she had been, had she worked with killer whales before? Well, I've sp spoken to so many people. I don't even remember right. who told me this piece of information, but someone said that working with pilot whales was so difficult because they were so either bonded to each other or so like like in such a tight social group that even just trying to gate one away like even for just like a training session or like a small a small thing or anything it was so difficult to try and work around that dynamic so what was that like mm -hmm. lots of trial and error <laughs> lots of trial and error and your normal approximations don't always work because if something worked yesterday that doesn't mean they're in the same headspace today. Mm -hmm. So if you say, okay, we're going to put, we're going to set the three away, or we're going to bring everyone in somewhere else and then ask one out, sometimes that worked, sometimes that didn't. So uh, so you never had like a reliable structure. There was no, mm -hmm. there was nothing consistent with them. Um, and even after like reinforcement, that wouldn't really change it very much or... 
not necessarily. Oh my sometimes goodness. it did. Some sometimes a concept would stick with them. Mm-hmm. But then every once in a while there would be an end date. You and they have to go back to square <laughs> one with them. So they were they were really interesting. They were really, yeah. really interesting. I mean, it sounds like a massive um, training challenge. And again, you know, I think the theme of this podcast is what we thought when we were baby trainers and right. what, we, what we've learned. Um, you know, I always thought that in training, it was like a competition. It was like who can get to the end the fastest or who can, mm-hmm. you know, do it in the shortest steps. Like whoever that person is, is the best trainer. But, you know, you kind of realize that, one, if training works out really fast, it's boring. And right. two, what makes a good trainer is being able to really get into the mind of your animal and try mm-hmm. to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, in in some situations, I think about training some animals versus others. Let's say your animal isn't getting a concept or they got it so well and they did. they have beautiful criteria, beautiful behavior. And you leave it alone for like two weeks mm. and then you come back to it. And that really, I mean, that really like gets them going sometimes. Um, with the pilot whales, it didn't matter what kind of breaks you took. You know, mm. sometimes shorter breaks were better. Sometimes longer breaks were better. Um, and I, I remember watching a couple of the trainers in particular because I was definitely still newer. I wor- I worked with the pilot whales. Um, but not nearly as much as um, some others, because our, you know, our senior ones at the time were really trying to get this norm going with them. Mm-hmm. And I remember a friend of mine, Nick, is he was really incredible about changing the session halfway through and and trying something different. And he would be able to get into their brains a little bit Mm. and just kind of make something click but I used to joke that um you know pilot whales are incredible they can go down to 5,000 feet and um and and sprint around and eat so much squid and so I think that they need that pressure for their synapses Mm -hmm. to fire properly because (laughs) at the surface surface, uh... they're just not there that's really, I, just, I mean, there could be truth in that. There absolutely could be truth in that. And that's something that, you know, it's so much in like the trainer, not necessarily psychology, but the trainer community. You know, we joke about our animals all the time and, you know, we love our animals so much, but we know them well enough to be like, yeah, this one, yeah, he's um, he's a bit special. Or, oh, this one, yeah, yeah, uh, he's a little bit slower. Like, you need to take your time with him. You know, Mm -hmm. we love them so much, but we know them so well. And obviously, all all animals have their own individual differences. Um, But killer whales in particular have such personality traits and differences. So what what was it like working with the whales that you guys had there in Orlando? Um, I think I was really taken aback. Kind of like I said with the birds of prey. how different all of the animals were. Um, and even though killer whales are the top predator of the ocean and they have the same general characteristics, I definitely was not expecting them to have the different personalities like they did and how they would all learn completely differently mm-hmm. and how they would all respond to each other completely differently. And um, we have a pretty stable 
hierarchy in that it's a clear Katina's the matriarch, Nalani's her daughter, and Makayo can get away with anything, you know. <laughs> so um I I it was interesting working with the killer whales in one day and then working, you know, and kind of shifting your brain and then working with the pilot whales because mm-hmm. Some of the same principles applied sometimes with the pilot whales, but not all. So you were having to kind of work your brain differently. And that's what I loved about working with different animals within our pod, because mm-hmm. one one method of training is not applicable to every single animal. It's mm-hmm. not. Yeah, I mean, we use the same methodologies, but you have to adapt based on what your animal is responding to for sure. Right. Um you know, I think like we spoke about at the beginning, so many people view killer whale as the end goal and it kind of is like, well, where do you kind of go from there? <laughs> and we were talking about this before we started recording about, well, we seem to have reached the age where the mass exodus of our generation is happening from yep. from the industry. Like everyone we know is now kind of moving on to other things. I don't like saying leaving, you know, because that door, I think is always open. We all know each other. It's such a small oh, field, for sure. but I like to say, you know, moving on to other things. Um, so what went into your decision to move on? Well, I remember when I first started, there was that mass exodus, honestly, of people, you know, my age and a little bit older than I am now. Um, and you know what I thought? And this is so naive of me. I thought, you know what? They're just not as passionate as I am mm. about this field. Mm. And not that I was nasty about it, but I was just like, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to be the lifer. I'm going to be all of this. And um, it got to the point where, like I said, about two years ago, well, three years ago, I got married. And then two years ago, can you hear my dog right now? I can, yeah. <laughs> It's not super really loud. Wants I'm sure to, people she really wants to get in. That's Foxy yeah. the Papillon, everyone. And mm-hmm. um, as much as we, I would love to say that I have the best trained dogs because I'm an animal trainer. I certainly don't. Oh, it's a phenomenon. It is <laughs> I, a I phenomenon. Because I just animal don't trainers. have the energy. No, animal trainers are notorious <laughs> for having the worst behaved dogs. And when I say animal trainers, I mean working in the field marine mammal trainers and you know why because you spend your whole day training you don't want to come home and then train yeah I mean they've got the basics but (laughs) they're not like yeah it's not like military precision like they will be perfect they know a lot of fun stuff but the manners are not there (laughs) (laughs) so So you are, um, you announced on all of your social media that you're, you're moving on to now work in the, the veterinary industry. And I know that there was the biggest reason for you for that was gaining back your time and your, your personal life. And I know that was a huge motivator for me as well. So Mm -hmm. talk us through, talk us through that. Well, thank you for getting me back on track. My, (laughs) My dog, my dog just derailed me. Um, Like I said, it was about two years ago. Uh, I got married three years ago, but it was about two years ago that um, I started really feeling like I was missing things that I wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom got sick. Uh, There was a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on within my family, but also like I was missing holidays. I was missing weekends. Um, 
my husband, I, I mean, his job just is like the worst thing I could think of, but he's a financial advisor uh, and he loves it. He loves every second of it. Um, but, but I was missing a lot of his really important work events. I couldn't go to any of his awards dinners. Um, and that was really starting to affect me. I mean, it sounds really I think starting when to affect me. Yeah. You know, when you're, you're 19, 20, 21, like just starting to get into this field, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Like, oh, I miss a few weekends. Oh, so I don't get home for Christmas for a few years, you know, but once right. you've been in it for a decade, it starts to take its toll because like you said, you said it to me before we started recording, you know, you only have a certain amount of time with your family mm -hmm. and yes, you know, when family members get sick or when family members unfortunately pass on, it really does drive home that message of you don't know how much time you have with the people you love. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I knew I knew that for me, it was it was time. Like I said, I wrote everything down that I had done already. And it was I blew myself away <laughs> with mm -hmm. how much I had accomplished already in my mm -hmm. career. And then once I looked at it like that, I felt really good. And and not to say that the animals don't need us, because the animals always need someone to take care of them. But I love my team at Shamu Stadium, and I know that they do an absolutely incredible, excellent job in taking care of those animals. Mm -hmm. And I know they'll be fine without me. Yeah. It's so difficult to, oh, I don't want you to get upset, my love. Oh, it's I'm so fine. hard. You know, it, <laughs> it is, it is so hard though, you know, to put, I mean, it feels almost selfish. Like, you know, you're face to face with a killer whale and you're like, mm -hmm. I'm so important in your life, but you're going to miss me so much, you know, and you hope that they're going to miss you. You know, there's a small part of you that hopes that they, you know, view you in such a way that you know, they will, some part of them will miss you when you're gone. Of course you do. Mm -hmm. I think that's just natural. But I think when you have a broader view of the field and of the lives of these animals, you know, they are very adapted to people coming in and out for yeah. the most part. They're very yes. used to it. They're very accustomed to it. And, you know, I've seen so many trainers leave in so many different facilities and, you know, to some extent, you know, especially unless it's a trainer that I think that's been there their entire life for like 40 mm -hmm. years, you know, they're not going to show that much of a behavioral change. So right. at least you know that you can move on and still leave them in great hands. Right, right. And I um, I will always stand by SeaWorld. I will always stand by Marine Parks. And who knows, there might be something in the works where I'm still working alongside people at SeaWorld, but we'll see where that goes. Um, like I said, just because the door <laughs> closes behind you doesn't mean that another one can open in front of you in the same industry. Right. And um, that's that's really the beauty of um, the animal field is that it's such a small world. So mm -hmm. watch yourselves, everyone. Mm -hmm. Don't burn a single bridge. Never burn a single bridge because everybody knows everybody it's mm -hmm. incredible everybody knows everybody but also that can help you so much yeah that can help you so so much if there's a new endeavor you want to go to either someone has worked at your facility in the past or worked alongside one of your managers or something like that um and it really is like a family kind of excuse me network for sure 
yeah no it's it's it can be terrifying when you think about it like oh don't make any enemies but it's also mm-hmm. so comforting when you're like if you need something someone Absolutely. is gonna be there you know it really does feel like a massive family and you know that family is always going to be there regardless of whether you're working there or not you know you still you still know those people um but you're moving on to new things new adventures you're having yes. a little bit more time for yourself mm-hmm. but did you feel any judgment for making the choice to leave i did a bit um because you know especially from some of some of the youngsters they're like oh my gosh i I can't imagine leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is just the best. And the and the thing is, that was me. Mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago, that was me. Yeah. Saying, like, how could you possibly want to walk away from this? Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not a been there, done that kind of thing, but it's just contentment. Mm-hmm. And being and looking and saying, I lived my dream. I I was a kid and I and I knew that I wanted to work with marine mammals I made it my mission in college to get a degree I got my job at at the dream facility and then I literally lived my dream for 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, and so few people can say that that just having that under my belt and having that in my heart I feel great about that. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel extremely fulfilled. And I think, um, and I don't have right to be to. doing that every day to still feel fulfilled in that I accomplished that. Yeah. And I think it's such a positive way to view it. Cause I think the younger generation of the trainers that are just starting out view it quite negatively as, Oh my God, mm-hmm. you're, you're leaving or worse, you're giving up. And it's like, well, you're right. not, you know, you, you made it happen. You lived it, you did it. And, you know, be grateful that you did it so early in life because now you have all of this time left or hopefully Mm -hmm. all of this time left where you can explore you know other things yes and you know like I've mentioned I I got a pre-veterinary degree and that was explicitly to be able to work at the teaching farm because none of the other majors Mm. besides the pre-vet animal science majors could take classes at the farm Mm -hmm. they were not gen eds so that was the reason that I chose that. And if I'm honest, I never expected to like the veterinary side as much as I did. But mm-hmm. when I left school, I had such a goal of this is what I'm going to want to do that I kind of left the husbandry and the veterinary side. I kind of used it as a springboard to be like, hey, I yeah. have all of this unique animal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never realized how much I liked it until I wasn't doing it every day, yeah. you know? So um, I am going to be a veterinary assistant at a local uh, veterinary clinic. And I chose this particular place because it's huge mm-hmm. and they do have some exotics there. And I, um, I'm really excited to explore kind of this next facet of the animal field because um very often when we have such a specific goal of being marine mammal trainers, we don't even think, you know, it's such a niche thing that like, yeah. you don't think about what else is out there because oh, or you worse, have- you're like no backup plan. Oh, no backup plan. That's yeah. frightening. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Now I can't imagine <clears throat> what I would have done if this didn't work out. Mm-hmm. 
if if marine mammal training didn't work out for the beginning part of my career, I I would have been so lost, mm-hmm. so lost. And I think because so many people do have such a laser focus on specifically, I want to be a marine mammal trainer. So much of your identity becomes wrapped up in that. Did you? I know I really struggled particularly with that. Did you have a lot of work to do mentally and? unraveling who you were from marine mammal training you know the I was fortunate in that I saw other people struggling with that so I knew that if I was going to leave the field that I would have to start separating myself Mm -hmm. from it um you know who I actually learned a lot from was uh Amanda Amanda Young Mm -hmm. um and I was kind of very very close with her as she unfortunately was laid off from SeaWorld and then went into um, an incredible career working at Zoo Tampa yeah. and then deciding that she was going to leave the field. So there are also a lot of people that I, I drew strength from and that I saw could come out on the other side. And people like that, in addition to therapy, really helped me um, not separate <laughs> my boxy in the background. <laughs> Never get a pappy on everyone. Um <laughs> Well, we didn't. She, someone was getting rid of her, so we took her, yeah. like, the generous people that we got. <laughs> um, but I had to, you know, I had to learn, and I really worked at the fact that being a marine mammal trainer is not my identity. It's a part of my identity, mm-hmm. but it is not exclusively who I am. Yeah. Um, and if I'm leaving the field to go pursue other things, what are those other things that I value? I value being a wife and a support system. Do you know, Hazel, that I have had exactly zero time for hobbies? I don't that have does not hobbies. surprise me. I have no what are what are my hobbies? Okay, so I when I wrote things down, I was like, man, I've always wanted to learn how to knit. <laughs> and it sounds so stupid, but like I didn't have energy for that before. I didn't yeah. have time for that. No. No, and it it goes back to like when you're 20 years old and you're like, oh, I have to work 14 hour shifts and I have to work the weekends and all this, you know, you have the energy for that. And I'm not saying there's, there's plenty of 30 year olds that still have the energy for it and still have the drive for it and everything. But, you know, when you've done it for so long, it becomes so wearing and it's so much on your mental and on your physical health and Mm -hmm then even when you do get time off, you don't really want to do anything because you're so exhausted. No. And I realized too, on my vacations, um, for a while, I wasn't taking actual vacations. I mean, seeing family, of course, is vacation. But if I had time off, I was going home to New Jersey to see my family because I didn't have time to do it Mm. ever. And then I wasn't actually, not that I didn't relax at home, but you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't taking time to just be. I would go home to New Jersey and then just spend those five days just driving around seeing all of my family members because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to. No, I mean, you didn't have any time to like pursue your own interests or actually take time to relax in yourself or with Austin, you know, Mm -hmm. just the two of you. So no, I'm so excited for what you guys are going to be able to get to do, you know, together in your own little family. Um, But you did mention briefly therapy there therapy big, hey big therapy advocates both of us here uh no shame in it everyone should be in it <laughs> that is my absolutely <laughs> everyone needs therapy mm-hmm. um 
but and that doesn't mean that you're broken that doesn't mean something happened to you it's just like a safe space to talk things Mm -hmm. out I mean it's a very privileged position to be in to say everyone needs therapy because I know that not everyone can afford to go to therapy but everyone needs to just at the very least talk to someone you know you need Mm -hmm. to talk through find someone that you can confide in but you know I honestly admire you so much in how openly and honestly courageously you share some of the things that have happened to you in the past and some of the things that you're still dealing with now that you have explored in therapy and you know now share either through your blog or on your social media about specifically toxic um, family environments and you know how you've explored setting very strict boundaries for yourself and your marriage and Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable sharing some stuff with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I truly believe that the boundary setting and separating from toxic family legitimately saved my life Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't realize how much I was physically being destroyed Mm -hmm. um, by the anxiety that everything with my family created. Mm -hmm. Um, And boundaries are not does not mean you're severing a relationship boundaries indicate that these are the rules for our relationship and if you want a relationship to continue like I do want it to continue these things have to change mm-hmm. can we pause this because my dog's <laughs> out of control yeah. right so the other part of that is Austin and I have both gone to therapy and we've set individual boundaries with our families too um, and boundaries with each other. (laughs) So, um, and that doesn't mean that we're in a bad place. It's just like we both have rules for the relationship and for each other. So stuff with his family, I defer to him. Are we going to this event? Are we not? Are we responding to this? Are we not responding to this? Um, and same thing with my family. Like I'm the point of contact for my family and he's the point of contact for his family. And that really seems to minimize any issues. Issues are always going to arise. <laughs> um, but in my family specifically, we dealt with substance abuse and a lot of enmeshment. Um, and so once that hard and fast line was set, uh, people would try to undermine me and get to Austin and that was really tough to deal with there was a, a, a lack of respect there that I never realized was present um, so and some similar things with his family too and so we're at a really great place because we've both done the work to come up with a very peaceful happy life together and it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. It's realizing a lot of things, not only about other people, but about yourself. Mm. And we all have toxic traits. Well, I mean, you can be the villain in someone else's story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really important that you recognize that whether you consciously did it or not, you could have hurt someone Mm -hmm. and that's okay. But it's, it's taking something from another situation and vowing to make it better yeah. in another. 
And um, it's so much of it's taking your ego out of all of it and being able yes. to understand other people's perspectives. Yes. And we've all been through shit. Every, there's not a single person that's had a completely linear, wonderful life. That doesn't mean everyone has the big T trauma of like substance abuse in my family or lack of parental relationship or something, but um, no, nobody's had it super easy. There's mm -hmm. something, and, and whether, whether your parents mean to or not, nobody comes out unscathed. Everyone, as parents, I truly believe that they did they do the best they have with what they're given. 100%. There are so few people that actually want to cause harm to their children yeah. consciously. Mm -hmm. They just don't have the tools mm -hmm. to do it effectively. Um, and that, I mean, you say that, and I completely understand where you're coming from, and you say it so easily, but that's such a big realization especially when you are dealing with childhood trauma to yes. be to be able to realize that and make your peace with it uh it took a couple years oh i can imagine <laughs> it took quite a few years to get there because i spent a lot of time being angry yeah. and i was angry mm -hmm. um and sometimes i still get angry but it's about bringing myself down and being like well there's a reason why somebody drinks i might never know the reason but, but it's there, yeah. <laughs> and they chose the drink over me, and it's not my job to understand that. It's my job to say, this is what I'm going to do. That's the boundary. This is what I'm going to do in response to your decision. Yeah. If I didn't set that boundary, I would keep pouring myself into mm -hmm. that person and say, why do you drink? What do we need to talk about? Yeah. Um, how can I help you? And if they don't want help, or they don't want to fix things, or they don't want to admit something. Mm -hmm. Why are you taking from yourself? Why yeah. are you taking from yourself to, you know, for a person that's not committed? Yeah, I think in a lot of cases you have to, it's, it's that saying of, you know, don't put someone else's oxygen mask on before yourself. Yep. You know, you yep. have to take care of yourself so that you can then take care of others. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means setting boundaries. Sometimes yes. that means going to other people and asking if they need help sometimes that means you know working within your own relationship before you can work on your relationships with others um mm -hmm. but honestly I think I have so much admiration for you not only in what oh, you, thank you what you speak about online but also you know stepping away for the moment from marine mammal training and right taking the plunge into veterinary medicine I think you're going to be absolutely amazing and Thank you so much for taking the time um, to sit down and chat on the podcast because we chat anyway, but oh, on course, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I know some some of our followers are the same and some are different. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really excited to kind of maintain that relationship outside of the field of marine mammal training. Oh, girl, you ain't get, ever getting rid of me. <laughs> you ain't ever getting rid of me. And I know I have to make a trip to Amsterdam for sure absolutely. absolutely my guest bedroom's always always ready ready for you whatever um and Austin can come too but he has to ask nicely okay. <laughs> okay Mimi thank you so much for being here
Thank you so much for having me, Hazel. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus, and I will catch you guys next week.